0: All right, good morning. Welcome back to Driving Theology. My name is Mike, and I am on my way to work this morning. Turned down some things that might give us possible, possibly too much noise. Grab my water bottle so it's close. (coughs) And it is, uh, wow, sometime in December, I think it's December 14th. Hey Siri, what's the date today? It's Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. It is December 14th. Look at that. So we are in the third week of Advent. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what's going on with you guys? I know uh, this time of year, especially if you're in the States, it can be pretty hectic with. Uh, I teach you a way to save. First class Sorry, the video playing on my phone for some odd reason. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so it's uh, pretty hectic. Everybody's getting their their Christmas plans solidified and trying to find those uh, those Christmas presents that have avoided them thus far. Uh, you know, these days Christmas is al- almost tailor made to. Where we give presents, uh, give gifts, um, we give exactly what people are expecting or wanting for a gift, we kind of tailor-make Christmas. And I guess Christmas was always tailor-made, you would buy something that you thought uh, somebody would want or love or need. Um, But I think these days it's almost like crazy, you know, and so... Manufacturers uh, come out with these "quote unquote" you know gifts of the year type ideas, uh, and then people go crazy trying to trying to gobble them up, so that their child will have the gift um, that they wanted that everybody else wants. Right? They they find a way to market these products in such a way that it causes a kind of manic. Uh, Manic mob to go after them, and I know that's—it's not like the movie Jingle All the Way quite, you know, like that. But I'm sure there have been instances where people have fought <clears throat> over that last gift. <coughs> Excuse me. And probably made crazy deals for them, uh, and paid way more than they should. In fact, I may have done that when my kids were little. I'm trying to remember uh, if that ever happened with. With me, um, I just don't remember. But you know, there are a couple gifts that were really hard to find uh, that everybody wanted. And if you didn't, if you didn't find one for your kid, you were basically a, a bad parent or a you know deadbeat parent or whatever. Um, the the Game Boys back in the day, I know that was a big deal. And then a certain you know very specific types of. Uh, very specific types of games that they wanted, you know, the uh, new or the popular games that that all the kids were trying to get. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think what gifts, you know, the the big ones have been like Furbies and Beanie Babies, and, and those were really big 20, probably 20 years ago or more. Everybody was trying to get specific things. <clears throat> uh but then the game boys and, and all of the you know uh, Nintendo switch now and all of these game systems that kids just go crazy for I'm sure a lot of parents uh you know break the bank trying to trying to get them uh, for their child so that they their child will be the happiest they can possibly be on Christmas. I'm trying to think if I remember any disappointing Christmases. And the older I got as a child, the more I really put pressure on my parents to get what I wanted. I, I know that I was one of those kids. But when I was uh, probably 14, <coughs> I decided that I wanted a legit uh, BMX bike. So. Up to that point, I had always been riding a a just a kind of street bicycle that I had modified into a uh, BMX type bike. So my dad was a mechanic, so we had tools around. I grew up using tools and, and uh, you know making and fixing things, and and so I uh, I was able to do a lot of that, and I learned it pretty quick. Probably from the time I was eight or nine is my guess. I started modifying bikes, um, and basically you had the bike you wanted, and you, you took the bike you had, and you changed changed out whatever you could. You saved your money. You bought this. You bought that. You you know you basically um, rebuilt it around the, the frame. And I'm trying to think. Probably the only thing that was original on my bike. Not even all the frame was original because I removed these these bars that were on the frame. So a frame, a, a modern frame, modern you know mountain bike or BMX frame right now has just a very simple kind of trapezoidic, uh or, or or flat diamond kind of shape to it, right? It, it tapers at at the uh, headset or the handlebars, or where the forks meet the handlebars, and then it goes wide. Where the the, the cranks or the pedals and the seat are juxtaposed. And then it tapers again back to the rear wheel. And that's kind of the modern thing, but some bikes had that plus a little more to it. Uh, So my bike had that shape, but then it had these two little bars that went between the seat uh, and the handlebars that that were on either side of the frame. And it it gave it this kind of roundish shape, and it's kind of the shape of cruisers, what what they used to call a cruiser, like a California cruiser or a beach cruiser. Uh, The big Schwinn bikes had those. And my bike was an AMC, and I don't even know what that stood for at the time. I, I think it was AMC. That's American Motors Company, but maybe they made bicycles back then. The big bikes back then that everybody had were Huffies or I think AMC was what I had. Uh, And those were the the less expensive, more, you know, types of bikes that everybody had. Uh, And then if you were a a little bit wealthier, you'd get a Schwinn. But these were all still kind of road bikes. So the BMX bikes were just becoming huge in in the late 70s and early 80s. And those bikes... Uh, everybody uh, we're getting that, that had, you know, what we thought were wealthier parents uh, were like diamondbacks, right? This was a brand diamondback and GT uh, and oh, there's several others uh, that made BMX bikes. And they were, they were just different. You know, the handlebars were different. The forks were different. The seat was different. What we had was a banana seat, which was kind of an elongated seat where you could get, you know, probably one or two people on it. Uh, but what BMX bikes had uh, were these single single seat seats. So BMX was all about, you know, lightweight, right, getting everything as light as possible. Uh, and, you know, that was a big thing. And so we, we never had a lot of money, and I don't know how I ever saved up to buy, you know, I bought handlebars and a gooseneck, which is the stem, we used to call it a gooseneck. Uh, handlebars, stem, I think I must have at some point gotten a pair of forks too, and in retrospect they were what we call tanj, but actually they're Japanese made and I think it's tange, tange is actually what they would have been called in Japan. Uh, but they were tubular forks, and they didn't have any sweep to them. They're very straight and a little bit more bulky. Uh, and so I changed those out, and I got a longer set of cranks. So the the cranks that came with a BMX bike, the the bike sat higher off the ground where the where the pedals are, was probably an inch or two higher off the ground than one of the street bikes we had, and that meant they could have longer cranks. And the longer the cranks, the more leverage a peddler has, so the more power you get. Uh, but there's a downside. If you put those long cranks on a bike like mine, it meant that the pedals were really low to the ground. And if you had a pedal down when you were turning, uh, you, would, you would get pedal strike, which is where your pedal strikes the ground or strikes something. Uh, and it would really jolt you and, and you, know, you could fly off the bike when that happens. If it happened in the wrong place, I'm sure you can imagine going around a curve with the wrong pedal down uh, would kind of send you flying. So anyway, when I was 13, we had moved. And and by the time I was 14, coming into Christmas, it may have been 14, may have been 15. But I decided I really wanted a better bike. And so I I kind of devised a way. And I actually used a few of the old parts that were on my bike. And I started buying piece by piece the bike that I wanted, but the bigger parts were just too expensive for me. And so I, you know, guilted my parents into using my Christmas money to buy the frame uh, that I wanted. Obviously, I didn't believe in Santa Claus by this time. Uh, So anyway, that one Christmas, I got that frame, you know, and they put it under the tree. It wasn't wrapped. It was just too big. It was the whole frame of the bike. And I remember how special it was because I had been shopping at this this bicycle store in our little town in New Mexico for quite some time and I found it they carried a brand called race Inc, and they were all aluminum frames and they had really bright colors and I think the the frame I got was some kind of an orange or gold color I think could have had some blue in it I was kind of going for blue and orange or blue and gold it's kind of my color scheme that I was going for but I tell you that that was you know that was my Red rider BB gun that's that that was the Christmas when I wanted the thing I wanted and if I didn't get it uh, it would just be the end of the world you know that kind of that kind of Christmas <laughs> But I got it, you know, my my parents came through and they were able to get uh, the frame I wanted. And so slowly from that time for probably a month or so, I started building my bike I still had parts I needed, you know, this and that and and little stuff here and there. And I probably worked uh, a few odd jobs to get enough money to do it. But finally, uh, I was able to have a bike that I could ride and I rebuilt it. It was a 26 inch, uh, which is normal, right, for that time. No, wait, no, not 26. I guess they'd be like 20, 24. What is a BMW, a BMW, a BMX bike? I guess they're probably 24. 26 is mountain bike, and now they have 20, 27 and a half, and 29s as well. I ride a 29. <clears throat> I suppose they would have been 24, 20 something inch anyway. Small, you know, BMX bikes are actually very small. But I was able to get, you know, the seat I wanted. I found a uniseat, seat, which is a seat post and and seat all in one combo of this composite kind of. I remember what it's made of is nylon, um, and there were the all the rage at the time. Uh, the unis, I think it was uniseat, seat. I think that's what it's called is all to save weight, lightweight. So I had, I was able to build a fairly nice bike. <clears throat> Man, I love that thing. Um, but it was still a little bit piecemeal, still kind of put together. But I do remember I, I got a new set of cranks and those were yellow uh, or kind of metallic goldy yellows, three-piece crank system. That was the first three-piece three piece cranks I'd had. New pedals and all of that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that was my Red Rider BB gun. If you don't know that, uh, that's from the movie A Christmas Story. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think parents, parents have always been trying to give, uh, well, not always, but for, for quite some time, uh, in this modern, uh, capitalistic, commercial world. Is that the right way? Consumer society is probably the better way to say it. Uh, kids become consumers quite young. Uh, and even if they don't have the money, they, they're, they're kids. They know they know how to <clears throat> they learn how to use people very early. We use how to we learn how to use people very early and able to get what we want. You know, um Maybe that's even considered a virtue uh, in our society, right? Being able to to game the system so that you can you can get an advantage, and and you're able to achieve what you want to achieve without actually working and making money and you know taking the time to to, uh, to get it yourself. You find a way to use the adults in your life who are the gatekeepers of all the money uh, to filter some of that down to you. And there were some kids I knew who were great savers. I mean, they would just not buy anything. And any little money they got, they just you know put in a can or whatever, and they saved and saved and saved. And and sometimes they'd have a whole lot of money uh, and were able to buy whatever they wanted. But more often than not, I feel like those kids never bought anything. I was the opposite, right? Any little bit of money I had, it was gonna be spent. Uh, It was hard for me to save up. So I had to have other ways so I used Christmas <laughs> to, to get the things that I really wanted uh, you know, it's one time a year you have that opportunity I, I probably used my birthday as well it's not that I didn't work, it's just that I'm not I'm not the saving type uh, I wish I was I'm sure my wife wishes I was uh... Yeah, I don't know. I kind of got off on a tangent, but you know, this this week is about joy—the joy of Christmas, the joy, the joy of the coming of Christ, the joy of the incarnation, the the embodied God, right? Uh, what do we call him? God in the flesh. Uh, God incarnate. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of joy involved with that event. It's what sparked what Christmas is today, which unfortunately means <clears throat> that a lot of what's wrong with Christmas today was sparked by that event as well, uh, indirectly, as it you know may be. I think people have gained. Christmas on a large scale. Recently watched a movie called Fat Man. If you haven't seen it, um, I'm not sure I recommend it. depends Depends on you. It's a very violent movie, uh, and it it messes with some uh, childhood um, archetypes, Santa Claus to be one. But it's called The Fat Man, and it's 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 played by Mel Gibson. And basically, he is. Uh, this dude who likes to go to the post office and he wears, you know, kind of farmer-like clothes. He lives in a cold climate. He he's always wearing a pair of boots and he's got a big full beard, uh, gray beard. And slowly, what you find out is that he's Santa Claus, but he seems to be living a normal life in a in a. In a town called North Peak, I don't know where that is, maybe Canada. Uh, and he's basically just returned home from delivering his uh, delivering his toys. But he's a very realistic idea of Santa. He's rough. He lives in this world. He, you know, he he. In this movie, they put Santa in normal day life right in kind of as a as a mundane person who is famous the world over but at the end of the day he just lives with his wife and does his job and tries to do it well and he worries about things and he's a victim of violence and and he has a violent streak in himself uh, as well and and he's uh, yeah so basically the world that we find is a world where kids have become more and more violent uh, And Santa is becoming very cynical of the whole Christmas idea um, And, and he, he falls victim of, uh, of violence, right? And he has to become violent himself to protect him To protect himself and protect his family and his, his workers and everything He does have a toy factory, factory after all but it's a, a hidden toy factory underground uh and the elves are not what you expect elves to be so it's just all very interesting it's very weird it's i perhaps perhaps it falls under the under the uh, genre of dark dark humor dark comedy but i'm not sure it's very funny at all um, it's funny in a sense right there are some Weird, dark, funny moments in it. Uh, I forgot why I brought that up. I forgot why I brought that up. But um, yeah, I think one of the one of the things that happened to Santa in this movie is that he has he has lost the joy of Christmas. He's lost the, the narrative, the story, and I think that that's very much what happens to all the people who stress out about Christmas. If you're stressed out about Christmas, you've lost the narrative, right? You've kind of lost, lost the whole reason. But in a sense, just as, just as Christ came in the form of baby Jesus, uh, when the world needed him, when the world was stressed out, when the world was, uh, was uh, suffering from violence and injustice, when Christ came into that world, he was coming to alleviate that suffering. Right? To alleviate uh, the, the consequences of, of sin basically that the world was feeling. And so kind of in that way, once Christmas Day actually gets here, you know, which represents the birth of Christ, the day that Christ was born, we all kind of do relax a bit. Right? There's a oh, we made it kind of thing. And then there's and enjoying of the gifts, and eating of food, and spending time together, and, and you know, some, some time of celebration and vacation, which is very nice, right? Uh, and so in some way, Christmas is emulating uh, the, the period of time, kind of in a, in a, in a microcosm, the period of time uh, between the uh, exile of the Jews and the coming of Christ that's kind of like the Christmas season. The Christmas season is a microcosm of that, right? We're all trying to please each other. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. We're trying to compete with that, one another to get to get stuff, right? Whether to get stuff for ourselves or for other people. We're manipulating people to, uh, uh, in the hopes that they will get us what we want. <coughs> uh, there's a whole lot of that stuff going on. Which makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, it's kind of uh, kind of an interesting season. <laughs> kind of an interesting season. I've never thought about how Christmas might be a microcosm, but there is there is some violence and there is some injustice in the whole preparation to Christmas. Uh, and and there are people as there were when Christ came whose pain was not alleviated just because Christ came right? it wasn't immediate, immediately evident that violence and and injustice were defeated <clears throat> and in fact you might you might you know argue that Christ came to start that process right and it and that it's been continuing ever since that what Christ came to do uh, was to initiate a process by which we would, the world would start operating on a a different in a different way, right? With different principles, that we would start um, operating in a in a in a way of of grace and peace and joy and love, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, I think today was supposed to be peace, not joy. <laughs> All right, I'll do joy today, and we'll do peace next week, and, you know, whatever. Uh, you, you can you can roast me if you want. Um, wait, was peace the first one? <laughs> I'm so confused, huh? <laughs> Maybe it was peace, faith, joy. Yeah, peace, faith, joy. Peace, faith, joy. Peace, faith, joy, and love. or Something like that. Anyway. We all can use more peace in our life. Um, still a process. But I think the big thing that you can get, you can get right away, that by knowing Christ, by knowing Christ and by following His um, example, by living like him, uh, I think you can find all of these things in your life today. You know, it's 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 a it's a promise that if you start living by the way of Christ, the way of sacrificial giving, um, you know the 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 lifestyle of giving, living a, a lifestyle as a giver. I think is the is the key to happiness. And I know that sounds very cliche and trite, uh, but perhaps things become cliche because they're they're so obviously true that we don't want to think about them. And just because something is obviously true does not mean that it's easy. It's not it's not easy to overcome the consequences of. Of sin and selfishness and, and uh, self-centeredness—it's it's not easy. Um, but this was the—this was one of the themes in *Fat Men* as well. Santa, though he was old, was as strong as an ox, and he didn't seem to age. He was old in a sense that he was stuck at an age, but he was in incredible shape, and he was strong, and he was able, right? And one of the elves made the remark that they think it's the giving that has kept Santa young all these years that's what gives Santa his vigor it's the giving, he's, he's a giving person that's his lifestyle um, and I think there's a lot to be said for that um, a whole lot Yeah. So, let's see. so when you when you understand, when you finally are able to just you know breathe, because you've realized that Jesus loves you no matter what, that God loves you no matter what, that He is on your side, that He understands why you've done what you've done and He doesn't hold it against you, quite the opposite. Uh, he loves you with all the love that is in Him and His essence is love, mind you. How much joy is in that, that, that you, know, you find out it doesn't matter, you know, you, your love and your acceptance and your place with Christ is not contingent upon any kind of performance about how well you do this, or how well you do that, uh, how many, how many times, you know, how often you pray in a day, for example, or how much of the Bible you've memorized, or how many people you've baptized, uh, or how many times you, you know, how often you go to church, how many times you go to church in a week. But none of that matters. None of that changes one iota. And not just that, not just your, your ability to, how do I say this? To conform to religious norms and rituals, but also the horrible things you've done, the people you've hurt. Maybe you're somebody who's killed a person. No matter how bad the thing is that you've done, Christ forgives, He understands, He wants better for you, but He loves you nonetheless, whether or not you acknowledge Him and are able to love Him back. It doesn't change Christ's love for you. And this this should be... This should be the the one and only message that missionaries deliver. God loves you. He is for you. He wants the best for you. There's a way you can live that will benefit all those around you. There's a way of being in the world. It's the way of peace, it's the way of giving, it's the way of love, it's the way of grace, it's the way of mercy. Christ wants you to live this way for the benefit of those around you and for your own benefit. But whether or not you are able to do that, and no matter how well you're able to do that, whether 1% or 99%, Christ's love does not change for you. It's not about that. He has nothing to gain for himself in any of this endeavor that we call Christianity. But probably it's just life. Right? But life is better lived free of shame, free of guilt, Life is better lived giving than taking. Not only is it better lived, but it will be a better life for you. Things still won't be perfect because there's still a lot of imperfect in the world. But Jesus is patient. He's loving and he's kind. And he's not concerned about whether or not or any kind of timetable on when the world needs to start doing better he's patient he's patient and life with Christ life knowing Christ is not about religion it's not about doing something Uh, it's simply about learning the nature of God by, by knowing Christ and then Bathing in that grace and mercy and love. And a person who is free of guilt and shame is a person who is ready to share that message with other people. Because everybody should be released from it. reflecting on some things yeah I think uh, I think that's that's joy right? realizing that that you don't have to meet some crazy standard in order to please God you know the things you do are not some kind of a ladder that's that's going to help you ascend into heaven just the opposite God has come down to us into all of our idiosyncrasies and imperfections uh, all of our uh, pet peeves uh, all of our uh, personality disorders (laughs) Um, and embraced us embraced us as his children his family Mm -hmm. all of us everyone God's embrace is on everyone. God's acceptance is on everyone. Christ coming to earth and living on the earth the way he did was to let us know of that. This is not, you know, I am God, hear me roar. This is, I am God, can I give you a hug? <coughs> you do know. I just want to hug you and let you know I love you. You know, as a parent, there are times when you've had to do that to your kid, where you realize that because of things that they've done uh, and maybe punishments that you've had to, or discipline that you've had to give out, you realize that, well, now they need a hug. You know, they need to know that this doesn't change the way I feel about them. There are times like that. All right, well, I'm going to have to go. I got here in pretty good time. You guys have a uh, wonderful Advent, uh, third week of Advent. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you one more week next week. All right, bye bye.